This is episode number 150 of Patrick Jones Baseball, and on this episode, we have J.D. Klosser. J.D. is the former New York Yankees catching coordinator, and he's also a former big league catcher himself. In this episode, he takes us through um, how he teaches and coaches his own players and catchers on how to call a game, um, developing a relationship with the pitcher so they're on the same, pe- same page, um, what it's like to be crossed up, backpicking, uh, drills and just overall advice for catchers um, I've never caught before but I can only imagine how hard the position is so I think it's actually uh, pretty cool that we're able to just um, you know talk catching for a half hour on the show and JD was awesome um, like I said kind of going over given given the basics but also getting pretty in-depth as well um, if you enjoy this podcast if you enjoy um, the content that we've put out over the last couple years Please make sure to share the show. Um, You can share the podcast on social media, on Twitter, um, Instagram. And then also, please make sure to also leave a review. If you leave a review on iTunes, um, it really helps the overall rating of the show so we can reach a bigger audience and help more players and coaches um, across the country. So, again, thanks so much for listening. And here is J.D. Klosser. All right, we are now live. JD, appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely, thanks for having me. So you were um, you're from Indiana. You were drafted out of high school as a catcher. How uh, well? First off, how hard is it to, to go from a high school baseball player um, to living a professional baseball player lifestyle at 18 years old? Uh, it was honestly, it was it's difficult. Um, I think the biggest transition is growing up in Indiana we didn't see a lot of the type of arms that I saw when I got into professional baseball. I mean, we might've faced one guy that threw in the high eighties, low nineties, and we definitely didn't have anybody on our pitching staff at the small high school. I went to that threw with any kind of velocity or number one, that was the biggest transition, just catching up to the velocity and kind of training myself that way, going out and living on my own and kind of transitioning that way. um, I was kind of fortunate, you know, we had traveled quite a bit to different showcases and some tournaments and things like that. So it was the travel part wasn't as big of a deal uh, to, to transition into, but it can definitely, when you're out there and you're struggling and when you go through some scuffles like that, it definitely can be lonely out there though. That's for sure. Were, would you say your strength was um, like defense or was it hitting or just a combination of both? Uh, I would definitely say that I think I was probably an offensive catcher. I think the more I played, the biggest reason that I was able to stay around for quite a while was because I had, some offensive potential that uh, that kind of kept me around and gave me some opportunities to develop defensively and get better and get to a point where it was, you know, I felt good and comfortable behind the plate. And I thought, you know, it got to a point where it was, pretty, it was kind of pretty serviceable at the upper levels, especially. So the offense was definitely probably the, the number one thing that got me to where I was and kept me around for a long time. What What's it like? I know as a catcher, you have so many different responsibilities and, you know, you're really a manager of the game, but, um, did you have to learn how to handle pitchers? Oh, absolutely. I was, like I said, I was fortunate coming from a small high school. I was actually allowed at that time to call my own pitches in high school. So transitioning into the professional game and calling my own pitches wasn't a huge adjustment in that regard, but understanding how each guy works and how their mentality is and what they can do and can't do, I think was a huge learning curve 
when you get in there because it's not you're not out there playing with all the guys you grew up playing with anymore. You're playing with guys from all over the world and guys with electric stuff, and so kind of learning their personalities and stuff like that is a is a transition period that takes time. But I think if you if you're with the pitcher and you hang out with them and kind of talk to them and do things like that, I think that that goes faster because I think that that kind of plays into why a lot of guys always feel really comfortable throwing to the backup because he's the guy that's on the bench talking to those guys all the time and, and getting them, you know, that kind of transition is difficult if you don't put the time in with them. So it, it really does come down to uh, like anything else in coaching is just getting to know, um, know the person, just building that relationship, that trust. Absolutely. I, they, they'll pitchers will do anything that a catcher that they trust will ask them to do. If they have built that relationship by talking to them and sitting through their side sessions and, and going through them when they're in the video room, going through their stuff and sitting in there with them and reviewing the games. And then also just conversating and maybe going out and not when you're 18, but when you're 21 going out after a game and having a beer and hanging out and just talking the game that way too. That's just, you got to build it that way first. I don't think that they're automatically going to assume that you're going to know what you're doing and they're going to trust what you're putting down back there uh, right out of the gates. When you, when a, when a pitcher is though struggling, um, even if you have built that relationship with them and they're, you can tell they're really frustrated, like they're not hitting the spots they should be should be hitting. When you go out to the mound, like what do you what are you saying to them? I think it just depends on the guy and the personality. There are some guys that you can get out there and you can get all over them because they've got a personality that they can take those kind of things, and you can just tell them to kind of get their heads out of their rear ends and get themselves going and let's get this thing figured out. Um, there's other guys that you might have to go out there and just let them know nicely say, Hey, you know, Hey, I know we haven't had our best stuff right now, but we're one pitch away from getting a ground ball double play and getting out of this inning right here. So you kind of up and, and get their confidence and boost their ego a little bit. And then there's other guys that are so flighty and all over the place that you can go out there and pretty much say whatever you want. And it'll lock them back in. You can joke about, you know, the people in the stands or, you know, something that happened or anything like that. And I think it's just understanding personalities and getting to know them, what makes them tick and how you can, get them back to what makes them good. Do you ever, um, would you ever watch um, a hitter and how he takes a pitch and, and maybe from that, like call it, call that same pitch again, if you didn't like how he took the pit or you did like how he took the pitch or vice versa. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's a huge, huge, huge part of uh, game management and pitch selection is seeing the hitters reaction to a typical pitch. And I think it also stems from, um, going out and watching batting practice. I mean, if you have time and you don't have other responsibilities that's going on, sometimes you can watch the other team hit and you can, if it's a team that you've never really seen and you don't have a lot of advanced information on, you can go out and watch the guys take BP and see where they like the ball and how they, you know, what their approach is at the plate and things like that. And that can also help you uh, get a kind of a base for where you want to start with how you're, how you're going to call the game. But the feel during the game of how a guy takes a pitch or, um, a swing a guy takes on a pitch, or even how a guy's stuff is working that day is, are all factors that go into calling a game and how you're going to decide what the next pitch is going to be. Would you, like, um, would it kind of irk you a little bit if a pitcher is, like, constantly shaking you off? <laughs> Absolutely it does. I mean, I know ultimately it's their game and they're in control of what's going on out there, but there are definitely times where you are having a really hard time getting on the same page with the guy 
Um, and it is extremely frustrating to, to be out of rhythm and just feel like you don't know what the heck he wants to do out there. I mean, there have been a couple of times, um, where there are guys that say, Hey, I shake a lot just because, and it does not what you're putting down, you know, probably the right pitch the first time, but I just like to shake to confuse the hitters because pitchers like to outthink themselves all the time. And, uh, you know, that if they say that it's not as bad. But there are just it, there are times where it is just like holy cow, what are we trying to do out there? It's almost like you want to stand up and say, "Time out, just throw whatever the heck you want. I'll just <laughs> we'll figure it out." You know, let's get this game moving because this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, how many times have you gotten crossed up? Oh, I mean, I I don't have an exact number. I think it happens. You know, I think it's obviously if you watch the games now with the limited mound visits and the way things have gone that way it happens a lot more but uh i mean i think it probably happens probably a handful of times a year you'll uh go out to the mound and you'll uh ask the guy what he wants to do and you do it and then he totally forgets what's going on or i've had times where i put a sign down and i go out to now i'm like what the hell are you doing that's not what i called and he's like yeah it is and i'm like oh yeah you're right you know so i mean that <laughs> that happens too but um, with the limited mound visits that they have now, I think if you watch major league games now, it happens way more frequently because everybody is so hyper aware of other teams trying to steal signs and get their pitches and all that, that it's become, uh, almost to an extent, like an epidemic, to be honest with you. Uh, speaking of stealing signs, uh, did you ever catch a hitter trying to, trying to peek back a little bit and see, we'll see what you're doing back there? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I don't know specifics, but I know that throughout the course of, uh, throughout the course of my career, I've definitely had guys that I felt were peakers for sure. You know, and there are definitely guys that have that, uh, that moniker about them that, you know, went from talking to other guys that, you know, that they're like, Hey, so-and-so when he wears his glasses, you know, when he wears his sunglasses, he's definitely trying to peak. So you, you, you know, you know, when guys are, and then at that point you just kind of, nicely ask him to stop looking and uh move on from there oh so you would you would you would really would ask <laughs> oh yeah uh, well i wouldn't ask him i would not so nice but yes i would tell him to <laughs> yes <laughs> oh that's so, but that's nice of you to give him a warning though he gave him a warning <laughs> what about uh guys leading yeah off exactly second i mean base? we wouldn't go right at, oh absolutely i mean i as a as you're giving your signs you're always hyper aware of what that guy's doing out there and the way he's moving and things like that. I think that that's part of the focus. And I think that's sometimes probably why you lose focus on what pitches you call and cross yourself up. It's because you might be watching out there, but how he's moving. And honestly, pitchers are the same way when they come sad after getting there and they see him doing something funky. The first thing they think is, Oh my God, he's got our sign. We got to change it. We got to, um, it's definitely, I think that would be a very naive thing to say that that probably didn't happen when I was catching. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, it, it catching, it really does seem like one of those positions, like you have to be on your toes, like, all the time, always thinking. Um, when I, when it comes to like throwing down, you know, not just to, to first first base trying to back pick, but just um, I guess you really just anywhere for like people out there who are listening. Again, I've never caught a day in my life. Are there any tips um, when trying to throw runners out that maybe you have or that you would try and do when you were back there? Uh, I always try to make sure that it was an out. You know, I don't think that I think that that's one thing that you got some guys that. I think if you have an take your shots in good in good situations, uh, but I think if you've got a Yachty or an arm like Gary 
or somebody like that, those guys take a lot more shots. It's a situation where um, you're not doing it all the time. You know, you can catch them off guard, but also make sure that it's a situation where, you know, you have a pretty good feeling that you're wasting a bullet on that and it's not doing anything to help you in that regard. I think that it can be a wasted opportunity to get out. But I just think you got to pick your spots. You got to know game situations and where they're at. And if you watch, um, you know, it's been a replay clip quite a bit, but the throw that asked um, – Shane Robinson off of first base in spring training two years ago. I mean, he obviously had been watching him and understood that when he was going back to first base, he may give one hard good step, you know, get back step, but then he would kind of start walking and put his head down. And he just waited until that happened and he flipped it down there and he was able to pick him off. And it's been obviously a, a blooper play, you know, the last couple of years. So I think paying attention to the base runners and how they get back to the base and things like that are, are big keys in whether or not you have an opportunity to back pick a guy. Biggest biggest differences between catching in the minor leagues and catching in the major leagues? Uh, I think consistency of stuff. Uh, it's probably a cliche, and everybody knows that guys get better as they go. But I just think the guys that, th- that pitch in the big leagues, they are able to repeat pitch command and location both. And I just think the ability of them to do that, it almost gets easier to physically catch the ball the higher you go in the minor leagues into the big leagues because guys are around the zone and they're able to command the ball better. Uh, but the stuff gets better, but the command and all of that is better too. So it's more, the misses are not as big. I think one of the hardest places to catch in professional baseball is the Dominican summer league and the GCL or AZL, because those guys throw a billion miles an hour and they might throw two over the hitter's head. And then the next three might be painted on the corner away and, you just it's so inconsistent it's really hard to to catch at those levels but as you move up guys are better and they they command the ball better so it almost becomes easier in the physical aspects but it becomes much more of a a mental game of, at that point that's a very good point how the how it sometimes it can be even easier the higher up you go cuz they have better command um speaking um to you who who hit in the big leagues as well as caught all the way out up through uh, professional baseball how would you balance hitting and catching? Because it's not like you're a regular position player. You know, you have to manage the pitchers. You have to watch video sometimes with them as well, plus hit and everything that goes into that. Would you would you think you focus more on just catching, or were you able to balance out the hitting and the catching um, equally? If that makes sense. Well, no, it definitely makes sense. I mean, I think if you look at my career numbers, I don't think I handled the hitting part very well personally, but <laughs> um, it's. Uh, you know, it, I think it, it, you probably get jip, you probably jip yourself of swings, um, as a catcher and catchers get swings taken away for those, for those facts that you were about earlier, where yes, you've got bullpens and you've got to be with those guys when they're going through their video sessions and you gotta, you're trying to be with those guys as much as possible to help them through the game because ultimately the position is about, you know, helping a pitcher get through a game and helping your team win ball can add some offense to that it's obviously a huge bonus but I think the number one priority for a catcher is to navigate a game with the pitching staff and to be able to to put you know put wins on the board for your team and and move forward that way so you're definitely going to end up taking swings away from yourself or getting swings taken away you know through the schedule of how the day works uh so I think that you definitely probably spend more time on defense than you do on offense how much do you miss uh, miss playing? Honestly, I don't really miss playing that much. I, I 
I don't. I don't. I don't know how many people would say that, but I, I don't miss playing that much. I don't. I don't miss swinging a bat. I don't. I mean, I probably haven't, other than a fungo ground ball swing. I don't think I've taken a swing in a cage probably in like four years. Like I have no desire to get back out there and really do that anymore. To be honest with you, I, I don't know. It seems kind of crazy, but I, I'm really content with how things went for my career, and I've had my opportunity, and I was happy with that. And now I'm, you know, I'm moving on and doing some other things with coaching and things like that. And I really enjoy that. And I don't, I don't miss the playing part. How did you know it was time to, to stop playing? Like, was there just that kind of what you're talking about now? You just didn't want to play anymore? No, actually it was because teams quit calling. I probably would have still <laughs> played for a couple more years, but uh, my last year playing with the Dodgers in 2011, I had gotten released uh, in July after the all-star break and uh signed with uh independent league team and went and played independent league the last two months of the year in edmonton canada and the north american league and um came back the next year and wanted to play again i worked out all winter like i was going to play and wanted to play and i was coming off um you know a fairly good year in affiliated ball the time that i was there and was hoping that i would get another opportunity and the phone never rang and I had some independent ball opportunities to go do that. And I just, and I didn't want to do that. I, the independent ball to finish the year was good just to stay relevant at the time, but it just didn't tickle my fancy the way I wanted it to. It just was not for me. I know a lot of guys enjoy it, but I, it was not for me. And I decided that I wasn't going to play independent ball. And I had talked to my wife and, at the, I had told her if by the end of May nobody had called and I didn't have a job, then I was going to be, I was good and I was going to try and pursue some other opportunities and maybe start trying to coach and do some different things. Well, I, I was like, woken up. One of the things um, that I saw you did, you start up a baseball facility right in 2013, Going Pro Baseball Academy. Yes, yes, I did. Um, one, you know, after being a little bit you know, probably at the time a little bit depressed about not getting another opportunity. My, my loving wife looked at me and said, all right, you need to get out of your sweatpants and you need to figure out what you're going to do. So I, uh, I did open a, a baseball facility going pro baseball Academy between the end of my, I had it open between the end of my playing career and, and when I started coaching and it was really fun. I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, I really love teaching and doing all that and being around the kids. So it was really a good time and I enjoyed it. Um, as professional baseball coaching took over, I didn't have the time required to continue to keep the facility open because it was just basically me doing most of the stuff. And I had a, a couple other guys that were doing some lessons out of there, but nothing enough to really necessarily keep it open and running. So I decided after my first year in professional baseball coaching that, uh, you know, it just was too much to try and do that and, you know, be there, only be there for three or four months at a time to do the lessons and uh, try to make up for everything while I was gone during that time period. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, completely, completely understand it. You know, as, as the busier you get, it's tough to kind of maintain the facility. Now, when you started coaching with the Yankees um, in 2014, what was what was your uh, role in 2014? I know eventually you became the catching coordinator, but were you just um, just a regular coach in 2014? I was, I was. We uh, in 2014 when I got hired by the Yankees, I was uh, at Tampa, our high A affiliate, and my responsibility I was considered the defensive coach. Uh, so 
what I did is I was a fourth coach. So what I did is I had a main focus of the catchers, but I also did the base running and defensive positioning during the games and coach first base when we were on offense and pregame responsibility wise, I kind of did whatever the manager, hitting coach, pitching coach, whatever kind of needed to be done during the game, you know, pregame, I, I did that as well. But during the game, I coached first base and kind of handled the catchers and then reported back on the catchers, um, you know, in our postgame reports and things like that. I did that for two years at Tampa. The next two years, I was in double-A Trenton, where I was the bullpen coach, which I had similar pregame responsibilities. But during the game, instead of coaching first base, I ran the bullpen just like a bullpen coach would in the big leagues. Uh, whenever the manager or pitching coach would call down and get a guy going, we'd get him going, give him some of you know some of the advanced materials on the guys that were coming up and get them ready to go in the game and compete. How was the transition into coaching? Um, I know a lot of um, former catchers end up becoming really good coaches because they're able to manage the game because they see so many different things and, and managing pitchers and whatnot. Were you able to feel like it was pretty easy to make that transition? Um, I did. Um, I, I actually was on staff with three other really, really, really good coaches that helped me out a lot in that. I mean, one's a major league hitting coach now, one's a pitch, uh, a major college pitching coach and the manager from that team is a third base coach in the major league. So, I mean, I, I was really lucky to be on staff with some really quality coaches and they kind of helped that transition into that. Um, first it was, learning that players don't care what we did as players. They only care how you can help them get better. So I talking about, don't ever say when I played or, you know, this is an, this is a good option for them and it's always about them. So I think that those are some good learning lessons to start because we all kind of get caught up when we first start coaching of doing things the way we did it or talking about how we did it. And honestly, like if you talk to a lot of players, they could probably care less about what we did as players when we played. Do you think players really care if you did play? Um, I think that that the trend may be trending to not caring as much. I think that they do care, though. I think that there's a part of them that wants a guy that's trying to instruct them to have gone through the things that they've gone through before, and I think that that helps – I think that that kind of gives you instant credibility in a way with a guy um, because they have, they know that you've gone through some of the same struggles that they have. So you can relate to what they're going through. I don't think, I think if you asked players, you know, for about some information about some of the coaches that have, that are coaching them in professional baseball, that they probably wouldn't know as much about them as you would think that they would. Mm, okay. I see what you're saying. Um, what 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 what's it been like once you became the catching coordinator? Like what what does that job kind of entail? Were you just studying film of catchers like literally every day, and then just kind of going over individualized plans and drills to help them get better? Uh, yes, that's I mean it, it, that's kind of what it entails mostly. Not necessarily as much uh, of you know studying catchers and things like that, but it does it, it entails watching video of all the guys within the organization. You obviously are writing the plans, the development plans for these guys. You're, you know, you're conferring with your coaches that have been with the guys because when we go in as coordinators, we might only go in for three or four days and see the guy catch three or, you know, three or four, two or three times in that period and maybe two or three other times. So you don't get as much of an exposure to them. So you, with the help of 
your coaches there, you know, you, you do write the player plans and uh, then you kind of just make sure that they're following the player plans. The coaching staff is following the player plans and the players are developing um, along the path that we, we hope they develop. Uh, but as far as like, those are kind of some of the off season responsibilities, as far as in season responsibilities, we were very fortunate with the Yankees that we had um, catching guys that were overseeing the catchers at every affiliate we had. So uh, I could just talk to those guys and get them to do the work with the players uh, throughout the year. But when I would go in, I wouldn't necessarily interject myself into right with what was going on because we had coaches there. So our job as coordinators in that aspect is to kind of almost help the coaches and coach the coaches and different, different methods and ideologies and different ways to do things and to also assist them and let them do what they do. Because if we're having to go in and interject and put ourselves in that period, then I don't think that we have the right coaches there. Then we don't trust our coaches to do their job. So I think that that's important as for us as coordinators was to kind of let our coaches coach, but be there as an assistant and help them out. So I'd watch for a couple of days. And then after those first couple of days, he, you know, we'd sit down and talk about some things, what he's been seeing, what I've seen in those couple of days. And then we'd kind of hash out a plan of how we're going to attack those different things. How many days um, are you on the road? I've, I know I've heard some coordinators that are kind of like two weeks on <laughs> and two weeks back home. Uh, what was it like for you? Uh, we were given freedom to go out as much or as little as we wanted. Um, the way we kind of did it is if you were out for five days or less, you could come home for a day, then you could go back out. If you were out for five to seven or eight days, you could come home for a couple of days. If you were out for 10 days, you could go home for three days. If you're out for more than 10 days, like up to two weeks, you could come home for three or four days. So it kind of just depended on that. Um, you know, and it, it, so it kind of varied depending on how the schedules for all the affiliates set up, um, total for the year, counting spring training and instructional league and Dominican instructional league and all that stuff. I think, you know, it's roughly, I think I want to say something like 200 and I want to say I was on the road, 220 days last year, 225 Whoa. days last year or something like that. Yeah. Wow. But I don't live in, but I don't live, I didn't live in our spring training, um, city. So when I would go down early in January for the mini camps and when players started showing up, you know, that was a lot of the time on the road as well. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. How'd you like that? How'd you like that lifestyle? Um, I liked it because I got to come home. (laughs) Affiliate coach, when you go, you know, when you go to your affiliate, you're gone unless you can sneak home on an off day here or there or an all-star break, or if you play close to home or things like that. So I liked it because it gave me the freedom to be able to be gone and come home and see my family more than I had as an affiliate coach. I did miss being with the players and, um, you know, being on and building those relationships and teaching, because like I said before, we had coaches everywhere. So when I would go into an affiliate, it wasn't get hands on with everybody. It was kind of sit back and, kind of monitor how everything was going. So for me, I know most people hate instructional league and spring training. Those are my two favorite times because those were actually times where I could get in there and teach and do some of the, you know, help guys and do the drill work and things like that. Um, last question I have for you, Ben. Awesome. Really appreciate your time. If you had any advice to a, a young catcher out there, what would it be? 
Uh, I think the biggest thing right now, if you're looking at everything that's going on out there and you're involved with what's going on, I think learn how to catch the ball first. I think that that's probably the most important thing we can do as catchers. Uh, when I was doing lessons, that was kind of how I started everything off with uh, with the young players. I would always tell them that we are going to go through this. You know, this is how we like or how I like to teach catching. I always teach receiving first, blocking second, throwing third. I teach it in that order because I think that that's the most the order of importance of the things that we do receiving is number one is because we're called catchers. We're not called chase the ball to the backstoppers. You know, that's not our job. So we have to learn how to catch the ball first. So I think that that's the most important thing when you're getting into catching is to learn how to catch the ball and then stay limber and mobile with your lower half, because I think setups and how we can get down into our setups and the positions we put ourselves in is a way to, uh, promote or hinder our receiving and how we catch the ball. Awesome. JD, really appreciate your time today, man. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it.